the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2020 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. If uh, this is the first time joining us, hey, welcome. Then I can tell you what this show's about. The first part of the show, we talk about uh, estate planning, elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we're going to be talking about politics, history, religion, uh, entertainment, nostalgia, and today we're going to be talking a little bit about politics because, believe it or not, we got an election coming up in a in a few weeks, and it's going to be honest before we know. And there's some ballot initiatives on the New York State ballot system, and your political future could be at stake. So it's not just candidates voting here or there. You you got to read the back of those ballots, and you got to figure out what it's going to do. And we're going to try to help you a little bit with Jerry Kassar, chairman of the New York State Conservative Party. Uh, today we're accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hello, everybody. My son, Michael. Hello, everyone. Now, uh, Michael, if somebody has a question for us, how do they email us a question? If you have a question for the Ask Lawyer Show, you reach us at askmikeconnors at gmail.com. That's askmikeconnors at gmail.com. Okay, and Beth, do we have one of those questions? Well, we have a question that's asked over and over and over. Um, someone comes in, there all sorts of documents are drafted, and then what's the question? What do I do with my originals? So that is something that people worry about. What if someone, you know, they have their originals, they take them home, they get sick, something happens, and nobody can find them. And it's a it's a very reasonable question. So... I know it's not the same for each person, so I throw it to you. Okay, well, here's the thing. One of the, 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 one of the great misconceptions that, that goes out there, if you, if you do a will, that if somebody has a copy of your will, that they can use a copy. It's extremely hard to use a copy to a will. If you lose the original will, the law presumes that you revoke the will. So if somebody wants to use a copy, they're going to have to come up with some kind of proof that you did not intend to revoke that will, and, and that is not an easy thing to do because you're dead, remember, at this point. Um, 
yeah, if there's a fire in the house when you're gone and your will was in a fire, if somehow a lawyer kept the will and the lawyer disappeared, yeah, things like that. But you have to prove that you did not intend to revoke the will or that the will was in existence after you were gone, which occasionally happens. Listen, people are human. Um, you know, somebody takes the will after you're gone. Somebody else saw the will after you were gone, and, and then for some reason it gets disappeared because you're selling the house, you're cleaning the house out, and you're cleaning the apartment out, and somehow it just kind of like disappeared in the confusion. But you need real testimony to do that, not necessarily an affidavit. Now, if everybody who's in the family consents to the will, you got a good shot of it getting through. But, of course, in a lot of cases, there's going to be that one guy who doesn't consent, and you, you could have a serious problem. So it's very important not to lose a will. Now, where is a safe place to put your will? Well, you could debate that for, for hours, and I don't know if there is such a thing as a safe place anymore. You can file it in the courthouse, and the, the cost to file it in the courthouse is relatively moderate, um, and you can do that, and that's a safe place. But let's say for the sake of argument you're living in uh, Brooklyn. You file your will in Brooklyn. Ten years later, you move to Florida. Well, somebody may not think to look in the Brooklyn courthouse that your original, original will is still there. And, I mean, it could be as simple as moving from, you know, Queens on 251st Street to Nassau County on 252nd Street, and nobody may think to look there. And, yes, your will may be filed on the court, but there's no grand scale, at least not now, there's no grand scale computer system that links it all up. So let's say for the sake of argument, you, literally somebody lives in, in certain areas, they live in Brooklyn, uh, they, they live in Ridgewood or something, they move two blocks away, they move from... Ridgewood, Brooklyn to Ridgewood, Queens. The will is filed in Brooklyn. Queens County Surrogates Court's not going to know it. The will could be lost. Um, safe deposit boxes. Well, they're good and bad about safe deposit boxes. One, if it's in a safe deposit box and your family knows it's there, it's, ordinarily it's not going to get lost. Although I have seen safe deposit boxes being broken into and the stuff stolen. Not that anybody wants to steal your will, but they take the contents of the box, they throw it in a suitcase, and they run off. They're not waiting to pick and choose what documents they want. And that, that occasionally happens. In Sandy, we had a few safe deposit boxes, banks where the basements of the banks were flooded and the documents were destroyed. You know, seawater is a powerful force and has its own destructive power. So, and, and one of the problems with a safe deposit box is after you're gone, if you have a safe deposit box, you need a court order to get in the box. And that sometimes can be a real pain, especially if it's a routine will and it leaves everything to the three kids equally and they got to get a court order just to get the will to file it in court. That that can be a hassle. I'd rather it be in the safe deposit box and lost. And I, I know there are different debates, which is worse, getting the court order or losing the will. But I think it's, it's much worse losing the will than getting a court order. Now, the other side of the coin is you, you try to put it in a safe place in your house. Um, I would put it, I would not put it with other things. Some people, you know, they get those old tin boxes that are, you know, locked or whatever, and they put their will in there. Well, then if somebody goes in the house, because remember, you're dead. People sometimes go through your house, your apartment, especially apartments. Somebody goes through your apartment after you're gone, and things have a habit of disappearing. And if you got one of those tin boxes and somebody thinks there's jewelry or money in there, it's very easy to grab it, put it in the suitcase, and run. So I know I'm not giving you the best answer in the world, but you gotta, you got to take a look at it, and under the circumstances, what are we doing? You might file it in the court if you think you're never going to move from that county. 
you might put it in the safe deposit box, especially if you're worried you got a kid on drugs who does crazy things or stupid things or stuff like that. You may want to put the will in a safe deposit box because you, you know it's going to be safe. You always, under ordinary circumstances, you're always going to let your executor know where you keep your will. Um, the executor is the person you choose to carry out the terms of the will after you're gone. And that person should know where you keep your will. doesn't necessarily have to know what's in your will. Let's say your executor is your favorite nephew or whatever, and you're leaving him a good part of your estate, but maybe you don't want to tell him because you may change your mind. That's fine, but then tell your nephew, if he's the person in charge, where you keep the will. If you have children, hopefully, you know, it, it depends whether you want to keep things secret or not, and that's every family, you know, but if the will says, I leave everything to my three children and three equal shares, and there's no mystery and everybody can know what's going on, tell all the kids where the will is kept, even if one of the children is executor or all three. And and I, I just want to backtrack a little bit. Sometimes people confuse executor with beneficiary. Let's say you have a house. You leave your house in three equal shares. You could have one child as executor or trustee of that house to sell it and divide it in three shares. Or let's say for the sake of argument, you could have all three children as executors, trustees to sell the house. But that's a choice you make. But don't confuse. A lot of people confuse uh, an executor and beneficiary. You know, the two are not the same. The executor is the person who carries out the terms of the will. If it's a trust, it's called a trustee. The beneficiary is the person who gets uh, the people that get the, let's say, if you have a house and you divide it in three equal shares. Now, in, in a couple of minutes, we're going to be talking to Jerry Kassar, chairman of the New York State Conservative Party. And one of the things we're going to be talking about, an old movie that I'm very fond of, uh, The Great McGinty. And I've it's, seen it too. It's great. Yeah, oh, and it's, uh, it's hilarious. I mean, <laughs> if there's anyone, I I know this isn't exactly the demographic for the younger generation, but <laughs> if there's anyone in my generation who hasn't seen it, then please go out and see it and just find you know find a way. Whether it's it's on TCM the internet. Or, yeah, and it's yeah. on. It's, cer it's certainly shown it, every it's, once in a while on but, Turner but, Classic but movies. Please go see it because you really should. It is hilarious, and it tells you a lot about how political systems work. And there's so. a lot of similarities, <laughs> except I think back then people were a little bit more open. They were about, more honest about but, their yeah. nastiness. Right. There's a great speech in there by William Demarest, why politicians should be able to take bribes, because otherwise you get a lower class of person as, <laughs> as, a, as a politician. But, I mean, if you can't take a bribe, who's going to do it for that money? So you, you want the best people in there, so give them bribes. And once again, for the people my age, I mean, how many of you know the joke, vote early, vote often? Yeah. <laughs> Of course, you, you like those Brooklyn guys, don't yeah, you? Yeah. Well, the, the the problem is right now on the New York State ballot initiatives that, that are coming forward in Election Day, there's a proposal that somebody can go up, not register to vote in, in advance, just go up, don't show ID, and vote. And I I just think that's outrageous. It's bad enough know. that you don't have to show ID to vote anyway. But so you can just show up the voting booth, vote, don't show your ID. They have to let you vote. I mean, that's just outrageous. And that could take effect as early as next year. And all jokes aside, I mean, that, you know, the the great McGinty is funny, but the, the situation is deadly serious right now. Um, and if you, you know, if you've read Jose Ortega Gasset, Revolt of the Masses, all this other stuff, it just... It's here now. Yeah. yeah. It's here now. All right, we're going to take a short break. When we come back from our break, we're going to be talking to Jerry Kassar. Chairman of the King, oh, I said Kings County. He was chairman of Kings County for a long time. 
for chairman of the New York State Conservative Party. Thanks so much for joining us. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, a little while ago, Fran Vella Marone was, was on the show, and she was saying, important as the elections are, one of the most important things uh, about the this year's election is in the back, you've got some ballot initiatives. And you know, may say, well, what's that about? Usually that's garbage, isn't it? It really doesn't matter. But to discuss that, we have Jerry Kassar, chairman of the New York State Conservative Party. Welcome to the show, Jerry. Thank you, Michael. Okay, so what's going on this year? What what are what are the ballot initiatives? Well, there are actually five, but three of them in the conservative party and most of the movement is recommending a no on all five. And as you said, it is on the back of the ballot, so you do need to make sure you turn it over. In fact, there's a lot of verbiage, of course, that the government put on the back just to confuse you. And it takes up so much space, they had no other place to put it but on the back so that um, they could tell their people what they needed to see and probably hope that we don't look. But we did look. Michael, we looked and we saw that all five were bad, but in particular, one Three and four were exceptionally bad. One, ballot proposal number one, repeals, essentially repeals reforms that you voted for in 2014 to change the state constitution so there would be nonpartisan reapportionment. That's nonpartisan redistricting. And redistricting is the process every 10 years where the population is taken through the census and the legislature goes through this whole um, whole series of um, activities to change what legislative lines look like for Congress, the state Senate, and Assembly, and then eventually on to the city council and local governments throughout the state of New York. Now, what you should know is not only does it essentially repeal the reforms, it it actually puts in the state constitution a little something extra. And what it does is it enshrines in the state constitution, and take that word enshrines, because when I tell you something's going to go into the state constitution, that's different. That's different from just a regular legislative action. That's essentially permanent. And if you vote for this, you're going to get the following. You're going to get to know that illegal immigrants 
are going to be counted for reapportionment purposes. And you know who that benefits. It benefits everyone who thinks that illegal immigrants should become part of just normal American society uh, in terms of most every process. And this would be a step in that direction. And who knows what would come first, next rather, I should say, once you enshrine illegal immigrants in the state constitution as being counted for reapportionment purposes. But if that wasn't bad enough, let's talk about ballot proposal number three. Ballot proposal number three eliminates the 10-day requirement for you to enroll the vote. It could create, depending on what the next step would be, it would could create and is very likely would create uh, election day enrollment and voting. In other words, you could walk into the polling place unregistered, register there, and vote. Just imagine. Just and you, ima- you're not required to show ID. Oh, New York State, you're not required to show ID. That's another thing altogether. That 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 is something that um, we've been working on for years. But that's what that's right now part of the law. So you would not have to show ID. You could register the same day as you're voting. And I think it's fairly obvious what type of fraud that could possibly lead to. So we would be a election same day registration and voting is just a horrible idea. Right now, it's 10 days. Is that much? A, is that too much of an effort? With all the various electronic ways we can go about this to require 10 days so that you can check someone's um, legitimacy to vote, to register and vote. And then there's ballot number four, proposal number four. This essentially creates um, paper ballots instead of absentee ballots. It does away with absentee ballots and allows everybody to vote by paper, which is a sure way to cause what they, to create what they cause, call uh, ballot harvesting. And ballot harvesting is a, is a corruption of the electoral system. Basically means that you a campaign could send people out to essentially collect votes. They could literally, as has been shown in some parts of the state, um, literally um, have the ballots essentially all filled out and then just get people to sign the ballots. On Staten Island, in fact, right now, the district attorney has a criminal investigation into... Uh, this this occurring on a city council primary. I don't know where it's all going to go, but the uh, the district attorney on Staten Island felt it was uh, there was enough um, information to cr- to do an investigation, which has been going on since the beginning of July, relating to ballot harvesting on Staten Island. And the reason, because of COVID, right now they do allow permanent. They do allow you to vote by paper, but that was. Uh, a covert, um, a covert uh, reform for just the covert period. It should not be a per- it should not be permanent. And ballot proposal number four makes that permanent. So together we feel that the elect the election for the electoral franchise, which should be even handed for everybody, is going to get a real jolt in it for the Democratic Party, who um, apparently are not concerned about fair elections. They're just concerned about their elections. Yeah, and I mean, remember the chaos of, you know, last year's elections. But think about it. Somebody shows up to vote. They have no ID. They give a name and an address. Nobody can verify it. They can vote. And what literally, what would stop somebody from voting 10 times in the same day? Well, actually, um, 
actually, the, the, the Board of Elections will tell you that they will put in place uh, certain uh, safety measures to stop that from occurring. But here's my problem with that. The Board of Elections in the city and the boards of elections around the state have shown an inability to actually just count under normal circumstances. I'm not comfortable uh, believing that these government agencies, which are essentially politically controlled and have very little um, in the way of professionalism in ter- in put in place in many cases, not in every case, but in many cases, one could depend on the boards of elections to protect us from uh, the type of cheating that could go on. And with ballot harvesting, which would definitely come about because it has come about on the on these paper ballots. Um, there's no question in my mind you could have one individual going out and bringing back in 20 or 30 uh, ballots that are, um, you know, basically just something that was created by the campaign. So, uh, now, for instance, what we, we've heard of from some of our clients, people go into nursing homes in some cases and they have, you know, they tell people here, sign here or whatever. Some of the people know what they're doing. Some of the people don't. And, you know, it's just it's not fully explained and that you're giving somebody a vote for whatever, you know, position it is. And and, and a lot of people in nursing homes don't question. They just they're so used to signing and cooperating with the administration. They do whatever. And I'm not saying the administration of the nursing home is doing it. But in some cases, you have somebody who does work in the administration who's a political operative. Well, I think that's absolutely uh, true. And uh, frankly, sometimes the boards of elections of people that are uh, part of the uh, of the uh, Democratic uh, cabal at the uh, boards of elections can go in and, uh, you know, look for build uh, particular nursing homes that have very large numbers of potential voters in it and just do that as part of uh, as part of how they are helping out their uh, their, you know, their party people, uh, their candidates. Uh these items are not needed. We we have lived without these for many years. In some cases, uh, well, two things. In the case of the reapportionment one, I mean, in 214, we voted to do something just completely opposite of what they're looking to change to. And that's, that's a Democratic Party thing. And as far as the um, absentee ballots are concerned, the process and the 10 days, that, that particular process was put in place in the 1950s um, because of fraud that had been occurring before that and, you know, heavy-handed party activities. So some of these things they're repealing are really were put in place in the first place to prevent fraud. So you can see, uh, you can just see how the evolution here uh, as the Democratic Party has taken control of a lot of the mechanical parts of state government is beginning to work against those who, um, you know, are in, need to see fair and accurate uh, elections. You know, you know, like the, the thing about counting, let's say, undocumented aliens as voters, that kind of goes against the Constitution of one man, one vote. Well, they wouldn't be they wouldn't be voters. They would be counted know, for reapportionment purposes. Yeah, but that means people in that district, in effect, have more votes than the people in another district. I agree with that. I agree with that. And, of course, in the case of New York City, municipalities have the authority to actually go a step further. Now, New York City is not looking to make, and they can't, illegal immigrants cannot be made voters. But in the case of New York City, they are actually looking at uh, non-citizens becoming voters. So look, there's always this this expression, the slippery slope. What if the slippery slope has been so slippery that we've already slipped down it and are now at the bottom? You cannot allow these things to pass. 
unless you want to find yourself sliding down that slope. It's not theoretical. Each one of these items is like grease. They're going to put them on the hill. You're going to fall off that hill, and you're going to regret it if you're a voter in the state of New York that doesn't think the Democratic Party's progressive wing, uh, this development over the last few years, ever gets it right, let alone occasionally gets it right. Which, uh, again, let's just take it back. Let's say you live in Staten Island, and I'm going to assume that a, a lower percentage of Staten Island residents are undocumented aliens than other parts of the city. So in other words, you're living in Staten Island. Your congressional district become, you know, expands, so to speak. It has to take in a greater area, less of Staten Island. Uh, and parts of Brooklyn or parts of Manhattan, which have a high percentage of undocumented aliens, are going to get more representation. So the voters in, in Staten Island, to put it mildly, are going to get screwed on this. Well, that's correct. Now, that's correct, and that's one of the many reasons why one would want to vote against that uh, proposition number one. And another reason simply is that proposition number one changes the way the, the, the redistricting is done back to a way that's highly, highly partisan. It essentially takes this independent commission and uh, re almost makes it advisory as opposed to having any real statutory authority. Um, and interestingly, it's on the ballot this year so that if it passes, it will, it, will it will affect this year's reapportionment, which goes into effect next year. So it's not something that, that ends up, um, you know, having a number, you know, a, a few years behind it so that we can wait and see and maybe talk about it more. It goes into effect immediately. You will see it in operation when the state legislature starts to vote on the new lines in January. If it passes, and we don't want it to pass for the reasons that have been uh, expressed. You know, like it, it reminds me going back, way back in uh, 1982 or whatever, but Florence Sullivan, when she was the last member of the uh, Republican Party in the New York State Assembly from Brooklyn, if you walked out, I mean, she had a, a very solid rectangular district. And, you know, the morning after redistricting, if you walk to a street corner, you win four different districts because they just sliced it up. That's correct. The uh, the um, thought process behind reapportionment for the Democrats in the state legislature is to elect as many Democrats as possible, not to spend a lot of time worrying about communities of interest. Now, they sometimes come up against a wall, but if they can find that they can just change the state constitution whenever they feel like it, you will, um, you know, you will um, have. Um, the worst possible outcomes from reapportionment. Uh, and it's not really to the benefit of anyone's if people who believe that New York City should not be running the, uh, you know, r running the uh, all the plays in New York state government, because that's basically what's going to happen. The Democratic Party is New York City. Yeah. But what also that means is let's say you live in a neighborhood. Somebody can come in, draw lines right in the middle of your neighborhood and split up your neighborhood, which gives your neighborhood a lot less a voice in the New York State Legislature. You know. Well, I mean, and they did. I mean, as you said, I mean, they they attached. If if you were someone in the city and you you're familiar with Coney Island and you know you're familiar with, uh, say, for argument's sake, Bay Ridge, you'll see that on the state assembly, they attached Bay Ridge to Coney Island. I mean, great people in Coney Island, great people in Bay Ridge, but there are no similarities in interest there. And for one pe for a period of time, for about 10 years, 
they attached Diker Heights, which is Catholic and Italian, to Borough Park, which is Jewish. And um, and they had a good representative, but that representative was primarily concerned about issues that were not necessarily of the same concern level in Diker Heights. It's natural, but what's, it's natural for that to be the way uh, the, the way things come out when you have reapportionments that are just designed to protect Democratic elected officials. And by the way, for all those who want to tell me that will Republicans do the same, show it to me. It's just an easy comment to make. There is just not evidence of that. Democrats pound the ground on reapportionment to elect Democrats. Republicans have and continue to, and you can look at the previous reapportionments when Republicans had a say, we're not doing that. That's why we, we're having a discussion about how they tear things apart, because obviously what made sense is what they are tearing apart, and those lines that made sense were actually created by Republicans. Jerry, let me ask you something. If somebody wanted to read these ballot initiatives you know, before Election Day, because here's one of the things you get. How many words are in these things? And I don't expect you to tell me. I can but, tell you. Okay. I can tell you there are about 600 words per uh, ballot initiative. About 600 words, and I can the way to if you want to if you want to actually read them in advance. But I want to just tell you they're not so readable, or you know. And Mike's an attorney, so I suspect he could read these and feel like he was just reading the law journal. But you and I might feel like uh, not as comfortable with it. You can just go to the New York City or New York State Board of Elections or State Board of Elections websites and actually. Um, and actually uh, find them. But you can also go to uh, the New York State Conservative Party website, and we actually will link in with them so people can look at them if they if you want. So that's uh, nyscp.org, um, nyscp.org. You can find um, you can find them through us. But they are about 600 words each. And I actually, if you want, Michael, I just just if you want, I go ahead, do I, it. I think you should. I think I should do this. I think I should do this. So this is this is the this is the wording on proposal number one. This proposed constitutional amendment will freeze the number of state senators to 63, amend the process for counting of the state's population, delete certain provisions that violate the United States Constitution, repeal and amend certain requirements for the appointment of of the co-executive directors of the redistricting commission, and amend the manner of drawing district lines for congressional and state legislative offices. Shall this proposed amendment be approved? You know what? What it, what it basically says is we're not going to give you enough information to figure out what you should vote on this particular amendment. And that's a simple one. That's the simple one. Let me, if I could, I'd like to read to you um, proposal number three. Actually, these are a little, maybe I was, maybe I got the wrong number. Maybe these are less than, these are less than 600. But, but let me, proposal number three. This is eliminating the 10-day advanced voter registration requirement. This proposed amendment would delete the current requirement in Article 2, Section 5 of the state constitution that a citizen be registered to vote at least 10 days before an election and would allow the legislature to enact laws permitting a citizen to register to vote less than 10 days before the election. So this would be approved. Sounds simple enough, but what it really doesn't say is what it does. It creates election day registration and voting and it doesn't you know and it gives you no sense of how the government would manage such a proposal and that's part of the problem right very often the legislature comes up with ideas and doesn't spend two minutes thinking about how to be implemented but yeah i do apologize these were less than 600 words um 
but that but as you can see they don't really tell you enough to make a clear decision unless you just simply want to make a decision based on the simplicity of these words which is not actually what the outcome would be if you approved them you know like uh, we're t talking about same day registration um did you ever see a movie the great mcginty yes okay well the guy gets a start in politics by voting 23 times on the same day <laughs> What would stop somebody from doing that? I really, I'm really, it's a serious question. What First would it, stop me from going into Bay Ridge, saying my name is whatever, I don't have to show my driver's license, I don't have to show ID, and then go around in 20 other places in the city and vote? Who would ever track it down later? Well, but it would be wrong. <laughs> you wouldn't do that because it's just wrong. I wouldn't do that, no. But no. I mean, don't you, don't you have faith in the average political <laughs> leader? I think no. Asked, asked, as, as the lawyer said, I'm going to step in on this Asked one. and answered. No, no. I grew up in Louisiana. Oh. I know what it's like when everybody's it, a Democrat. But wasn't your uncle the uh, the governor? Well, yes. Oh, right. Two different times. That's, I mean, cousin, that's, if we're being technical. Cousin. But I mean, that's why I know this intimately. And as far as we were concerned, he was fighting the bad Democrats. They were good and bad Democrats. Well, I mean, he different. was the last powerful North Louisiana governor. It then went to the Edward, Edwin Edwards group. Now, yeah. have you heard of that fella? I've heard of them. I've heard, yeah. of, them. I've heard of them. You're a kid, but... but a lot yeah. of indictments in that administration. The bad side of our family <laughs> kind of made it a long way, too. <laughs> we um, don't, we don't talk about side. that. No, yeah. no, yeah, we yeah. don't. We okay. don't talk okay. about that. But <laughs> I'm I'm going to change the subject slightly. But for those out there, you know, sometimes we talk about old movies, and if you want to watch an old movie one time, watch The Great McGinty, directed by the the great director Preston Sergis. And what you talk about corruption, it, it's the well, same it's, thing today. It starred Gary Cooper, right? No, 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 no. Brian no. Donlevy was Brian Donlevy. I'm, I'm, I'm Okay. Brian Donlevy was the... It. It, doesn't it open with him, the bartender? Yeah, well, it opens on a, a flashback. So he's a bartender in Central America or something like that. I think that was pretty close to when our mayor went to Central America <laughs> back then after an indictment. But he's in Central America and he's doing a flashback. But he got to start in politics by voting, I believe, 23 times in the same day. And that, you know, the, the bosses took note of him and that started his way up on the ladder to eventually becomes governor of that fictional state or whatever. But if you want to get some great quotes about the state of politics, watch that movie. Preston Sturgis was, was a great director who had a short career, got in trouble with the IRS on occasion, and that was one of his downfalls. But uh, Which endears him to me. Yes. But The Great McGinty, directed by Preston Sturgis, starring Brian Donlevy, Akim Tomaroff, and the great William Demarest. Brooklyn people? Yeah, some of them. <laughs> Not really. Not really. Well, I mean, it was a fictional town. I mean, it, it it gave the appearance of a big city. Well, you know, we've talked about it before. You know, Tammany Hall and everything. At least they left beautiful buildings. Well, they cost a lot. Window yeah. <laughs> but the, I, the, win the windows in particular. Yeah, I know. But I remember I worked for a guy once and he said, you know, at least it was honest graft. Because the buildings are st standing, you know, 150 years later. Oh, my goodness. As opposed to, you know, stuff goes up today and it's torn down 20 or 30 years later. Yeah, that's, that, that was, we've all heard those stories. Those yeah. Stories. We've lived a lot of them, too. 
So. Oh, well, I do not envy your job, Mr. Kassar. One last question. Somebody wanted, you mentioned the website, but if somebody wanted to learn about the Conservative Party, why should you be a member of the Conservative Party as opposed to being a member of the Republican Party? Why? Well, I think primarily because we are clearer, in my view, in our positions and that we, um, I mean, we're, we, we have um, not a left and a right wing of the Conservative Party. You know what I'm saying? We basically are a clearer for individuals who enter the uh, the civic process believing in certain things. And so, you know, conservatives oppose tax increases. Conservatives maybe not always get lesser government, but they want lesser governments. Uh, conservatives are much clearer, I think, on law enforcement than any of the other parties. Because, I mean, we'll tell you we think the death penalty should be restored. We don't just want police to be funded. We want to support our police. This is not to say that the GOP does not have generalized similar views, because they do. But what it is to say is that we just don't, we just not a warm, welcoming, welcoming group for individuals that um, might want to move around the political spectrum. It's just, it's, if you're, if you feel you're conservative, you'll find a better home in the conservative party than I think you would find in another political party. And here's the thing, if you're a Christian out there, and we know a lot of our listeners are Christians, the conservative party is is opposed to abortion and whatever legislation that can be enacted we're in favor of it now may not do a lot of good in new york but at least you're standing on principle well and to that point the uh, conservative party does have a social issue agenda i always i frankly should have made that earlier because i tend to make that point uh for political reasons, mostly, and the purpose of accumulating votes, the other political parties tend to stay away from the uh, third rail issues, which is like abortion. Uh, it, could be, it could be about traditional family values. It could just simply be the thought process that living a faithful and religious life is not a bad thing. Uh, or it could be against some of these lunatic ideas that were, you know, critical race theory that we're coming up with. We, we're not afraid to talk about them. That is really a big difference between us and the other parties, not specifically the GOP, but pretty much everybody else that's out there. All right, Jerry, thank you for coming by and being in the studio for uh, Connor's Corner. Thank you. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, this is an election year, and a lot of people don't quite realize it because, you know, there's not a lot of press about it. And, of course, everything's focused on Washington. And, of course, they're not congressional elections this year, at least not, you know, the regular congressional elections. So we, we brought in Fran Vela Marone, the, the chairperson of the Brooklyn Conservative Party. And, Fran, there are a lot of city council elections that are coming up this year. And, and I think there are a, a good amount of impressive candidates. Can you just comment about that? Sure. We have a number of impressive candidates running on the Conservative Party line. Uh, one of them is Mike Shus uh, Mark Shuskevich, who's running in the 47th Council District, which encompasses basically Coney Island and um, uh, other parts of, in that area, Gravesend as well. Uh, we also have a very good candidate in the Bay Ridge, Dyker Heights, Bensonhurst, uh, the uh, Bay Beth Beach District, which is Brian Fox, and that's the 43rd City Council District. We have another very good candidate in the 40th uh, council district, which basically takes in Flatbush, and that is um, uh, Constantine um, Jean Pierre. Constantine Jean Pierre. Uh, and then we have another candidate actually running in Sunset Park, and that's Eric Frankel, um, and that's the uh, 30, uh, 38th council district. So we do have a very good uh, slate. We also have running in the 40. 
8th Council District, Ina Vernikoff, who's, uh, that takes in the Brighton Beach uh, uh, area. Um, and we also have uh, running in the Gerritsen Beach Marine Park area, um, Donald Cranston. So we do have a full slate of candidates running in the city council. The Conservative Party is proud of our candidates. They're all candidates that are working to improve the quality of life of the city, uh, and we stand by them. All right. Well, right now, we're very pleased to have Mark Suskevich on our show. And Mark, what's your district again? The 47th City Council District consists of Coney Island, Gravesend, Seagate, Bath Beach, and Bensonhurst. So 18th Avenue up to uh, Coney Island and Gravesend. Now, this is not your first run for political office. Yeah, last year I ran for state assembly, which also included Coney Island, and I was supposed to be the first uh, Republican conservative uh, pol local politician in the Coney Island area in an estimated 100 years. So, But uh, unfortunately, the election was the 9% lead on election night didn't stick after more and more absentee ballots started coming in, and a 54 to 45% lead turned into a 49 to 51% loss. Yeah, can you explain that again? Because I think a lot of people don't realize what happened in last year's election. Well, I mean, it used to be election day, and now it was uh, in, in the local elections, it was election month, and the presidential election, it was election quarter. And, uh, you know, but uh, basically, uh, I was ahead almost 3,000 votes, and then we had some uh, early voting machines that weren't counted, and then when those ended up uh, being tallied, about 600 uh, of that vote lead ended up disappearing, and then uh, more an extra 4,000 absentee ballots came in after election day. So um, the 3,000 vote lead, you know, it was 2,800 and change, but it turned out to be a 600 and change uh, vote loss. So. There's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, skeptical things there. I mean, you you had the opportunity to cure ballots if there were mistakes on it. And we my, my campaign contacted a lot of those people uh, that we thought might have voted. You can't really ask if, who they voted for. But one particular instance, uh, somebody on the phone from one of my volunteers said, uh, that person's dead, but I have power of attorney, so I voted uh you know for that person and obviously uh, you know that's not how power of attorney works uh you can't vote for you know deceased people but um that's one instance it's very difficult to prove uh and and they know that you know i mean if you if you cheat and you you do certain things like uh a lot of people got absentee ballots in the mail that they didn't request so you had uh the democrats uh requesting filling out online or whatever the case may be for absentee ballots. There, there were a lot of shady things that were done. So, um, And the margin of victory was close enough where, you know, uh, a few hundred, uh, you know, illegitimate votes could have made the difference, but it, it's very difficult to prove. Yeah, and that where it comes out where, you, you know, yeah, you've got that problem in, in elections, but at the same time, everybody's got to show up and vote. And that result might have been changed if a few hundred more, a few hundred more people did that, show up that, in person. That could be the case this year, which is, you know, I'm running, you know, for office again. And there's a lot of conservatives and Republicans that feel like, well, these elections are being stolen. What's the point? And that's exactly what the left wants. They want to discourage people. They want people to think that their vote is pointless. And then... They could win legitimately if people aren't actually showing up. So we actually need everyone to go out and vote. 
uh, because if the you know, I mean, you look at Nicole Maliotaka, she won by a landslide. So if they would have attempted to steal that congressional seat, then it would be it would have been completely obvious that it was stolen. So we need to win by large margins so that, you know, it's it's something that's, uh, you know, harder to to, you know, do shady things. I mean, so we need people that are, you know, to stay motivated and not think that it's pointless and to get out there on election day or early voting or vote by, by mail. I mean, I, I suggest to people to get absentee ballots and vote by mail like the Democrats do because you never know what comes around during election day or before election day. You might actually get sick and not be able to make it out on election day, so at least you have your absentee ballot in there. I understand people don't trust the absentee ballot, so you could still vote in person and that will negate your absentee ballot. Um, so you could fill that out just in case and still go and vote in person, you know, and the, uh, only one of those votes will count It'll negate the absentee ballot, but at least you'll have something in there in the event something unexpected happens and you can't make it out on election day. Fran, why are the city council elections important? City council elections are extremely important. You know, that's the governing body of the city of New York and many pieces of legislation that they pass are going to affect us that, uh, directly so you know so, such as the um, the the vote to defund the police i mean that was you know instrumental in the problems that we're having right now um with uh, crime in new york city that's just one example but the city council passes all sorts of legislation that affects our daily life and we need to be concerned about that and that's why we need to have people in the city council that are going to represent the people that are going to fight for us, that are going to make sure that we have a good quality of life, that the standard of living is appropriate, that we are not uh, struggling to get by in the city, and that we have a safe and clean city to live in. Yeah, and, and Mark, I, maybe we're going to restate the obvious, but where are you as far as defunding the police or supporting the police? Well, I'm a back to blue candidate. I was a back to blue candidate last year. I spoke at numerous back to blue rallies. Uh, that doesn't mean that they should get away with anything, uh, obviously, if they do wrong. But, I mean, you don't judge one person. You don't go into a department store and have a nasty cashier and then think that the, every employee within the company is nasty. You just had a problem with that one person. We don't have 100% uh, you know, great people in any profession. We don't have that with lawyers or doctors or anything. You don't judge the entire profession based on interactions that you have with with certain people. So I am a back to blue candidate and the the idea of defunding the police obviously uh you know wasn't just an idea. They did cut the funding within the police department and we saw, you know, they put handcuffs so so to speak on the police officers to make their jobs more difficult and we see that in a result in uh higher crime rates, higher violent crime rates and uh, you know, the bail reform bill that got passed on the state level, you see people who got arrested. There was somebody that got the record 46 times for shoplifting, arrested and released again. You have police officers waiting outside of pharmacies and things like that, you know, because, you know, they're going in there and they're stealing things and they're not, you know, there's, you know, there's no repercussions for it. And it's, uh, it's worse in San Francisco, but it's starting to happen in New York where, where uh, people are just stealing in businesses because there's no punishment. And, you know, it's uh, 
it, we're seeing crime on the rise and we're seeing between the, the way I see it, if you're still voting Democrat at this point, it's like you have Stockholm syndrome because you continue doing the same thing. They're, they're destroying your city. They're making you feel less safe. They're put, putting in these uh, communist like, uh, you know, mandates, show me your papers. A lot of people compare that to Nazi show me your papers. I know that's a little controversial, but th that is the step towards it where we're seeing if you're if you're let forcing let, allowing the government to force something to put in your body then that establishes a very dangerous precedent because you're giving them way too much control on your life and uh this is the the real my body my choice where it's actually your body and not someone else's body that uh, you should have the right to choose what goes into it now, i mean obviously we've had one party rule in new york city for quite a while what are the problems with one pro one party rule? Well, there's no checks and balances. You don't have a middle ground. You just have a you know the far left agenda. There's nobody speaking out. Uh, you don't see any of these local Democrat city council members uh, or or state assembly members actually standing up to the Blasio's dictator-like mandates. Uh, some of them might not agree with it, uh, but they might they won't. They're afraid to say it publicly because. You know, their party feels this way and they don't want to go against the party. They want to stay in power. They want to keep their local uh, office job, their cushy job where they do absolutely nothing to help the community except occasionally do a food drive, which, uh, you know, I'm sorry to say, I you know, people doing food drives and things like that, that's great for PR, but I'd rather have somebody in office that makes it so they're not, you know, relying on the government for food instead of having people give them food. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's just PR nonsense. They're not actually getting things done. The legislation that they're passing is destroying the city more and more. And it's, it's, it's unbelievable how somebody could still be loyal to a Democratic Party after seeing how badly de Blasio and the Democrats have has systematically destroyed the greatest city in the world over these past few years. Yeah, and, you know, again, what, what can the city council, in the city council, what can you do to change this? Well, one city council candidate by himself, I, I say this to people too, it's like, you know, I don't believe in defunding the police, but yeah, I only have one one vote so if the majority is democrats it's not you know it's not something like i would have the power to overrule the majority there but you do have somebody like myself that isn't afraid to speak out in the media and stand up and be a voice for the people if you have nobody uh standing up to de blasio or you know standing up to whoever the future uh if if, if we god forbid we have another democrat mayor uh, or other Democrat politicians, if there's nobody out there speaking out against because they're afraid, then there's no one having any sense of, of reason or, you know, contradicting, you know, you're not getting the other point of view. It's like having an argument on, you know, you know, I mean, CNN basically would be a perfect example. You have two people who are basically saying the exact same thing and it's an echo chamber and nobody is contradicting what they're saying they're not they're not showing the other side of the argument it's just one side like oh this is the way it should be yeah it should be like that no it's like you know you need somebody that's going to speak out on behalf of the people and if there's nobody in a local office like myself i'm not afraid to 
you know, when I was um, in financial services, one of my, uh, one of the people in the office says, you're not afraid to tell the emperor he has no pants on. Like, I'm not afraid to speak out for, you know, what the truth is, regardless of what, uh, you know, what repercussions might come my way. I don't care if the media attacks me and says, oh, Mark is this, and, you know, they try to attack your character instead of, uh, you know, going on the issues. And aside for that, to get back to your original question, a lot of the ideas that I have, I feel are nonpartisan that I think, you know, can kind of work with the existing uh, elected officials to improve our education by bringing in life skills classes, you know, sort of like how they had shop class a long time ago where kids can learn basic life skills, an after-school video game program, which uh, not every kid plays sports, so it's something that they could do after school, keep them off the streets and keep them uh, motivated to keep their grades up because just like sports, you need to keep uh, grades up in order to participate. Property-backed municipal bonds to fund affordable housing instead of giving developers 15-year tax abatements helping the homeless with job training and rehab programs instead of uh, just putting them in a homeless shelter and forgetting about them. So a lot of these ideas resonate with people. And I think that those are ideas that, you know, the Democrats should at least agree with. I think both people with common sense can, can agree on those issues. And if, if I could only have some of those educational ideas implemented in my district and on a pilot program basis, then you know, then I'm fine with that as long as I could at least uh, show that it, it helps improve the, the school system. Mark, what's your website? Where can people learn more about your campaign and learn more about you? The ideas are Mark, M-A-R-K, the number 4NY.com. That's my full website with all my ideas, information. And then the direct donation site, which uh, we're coming down the stretch of Election Day, and I need all the funds I could get to help with marketing so I could win. It's marked the number 4NYC.com. So once again, mark4ny.com for the full website, which you could still donate on there. And the direct donation website is mark4nyc.com. Okay, if you live in Mark's district, you want to two-party system back in New York City, at least the, the semblance of a two-party system, get out there and vote. Markfornewyork.com. Mark4ny.com. Ny.com, I'm sorry. And if you, uh, even if you don't live in the district and you want somebody that is going to speak out on your behalf, then uh, you know, please consider making a donation to help me uh, pull off a victory. Markforny.com or markfornyc.com. All right. Good luck, Mark. Thank you. I appreciate that. Bye-bye, everyone. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors and Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.